Welcome, listeners, to a new episode of the Case Podcast, another conversation about software engineering. Today, I'm extremely happy to have Nick Steenhood as my guest. Uh, we're going to be talking about web accessibility, a topic that's dear to my heart. I'm really happy to have this on the show finally, and I'd uh, like to start by asking Nick to introduce himself. Hi, Stefan. Thank you for having me on the show. Uh, introducing myself, I am a web accessibility uh, consultant. I've been working on web accessibility for nearly 25 years. I work with large companies. Uh, I've had clients like airlines and, and Fortune 500 companies. And I also work with a lot of education providers, government departments, and um, you know, smaller nonprofits as well. My main uh, my main focus is to help organization become more accessible, provide more accessible websites, applications, platforms, and generally help folks understand why accessibility is important and how to implement it as a whole. Uh, I'm a, a speaker on the topic of accessibility, so some of your audience may have heard me at one PHP conference or another. And I'm uh, a podcaster where I have a um, podcast about, strangely enough, accessibility. <laughs> okay, so we'll definitely link to that. I can hardly recommend that one. So uh, we're basically going to do a giant ad for your podcast here, which I'm really happy about. So let's, Thank you. Let's dive right in. So maybe we should start by defining the term accessibility. What does that mean? That is such a loaded question, and <laughs> it's one of the reasons why a lot of people have problems with it. Uh, I actually ask my guests on my show how they define accessibility, and out of about 50 guests, I had about 50 different definitions. But it always comes back to something similar to the idea that accessibility is the inclusive um, approach to building websites that work for everybody, regardless of ability or disability. Uh, if we unpack that, it, it really comes down to realizing that everybody uses the web, if the web is accessible for them, and that we want to build inclusive things. Uh, we want to make sure that everybody can use it, whether it's someone that has a condition that really impacts their ability to function, whether it's someone that has no sight or no hearing or uh, no uh, control over their hands or things that might be not as obvious, maybe someone's colorblind, like 8% of men in the Western Hemisphere. You know, if you have a toggle and the only thing that makes a difference between uh, the toggle is on or off is that there's a green a dot or a red dot, then chances are you're cutting out 8% of men from being able to easily use your platform. So it's a wide range of things and we have to, to think about trying not to design for the edge case because there's no edge case. It's always about uh, people. Uh, I like to say that accessibility is a technical solution to a human uh, problem. Mm -hmm. So, so it sounds as if part of what you're what you're saying is that it's sort of a it's a it's a very wide spectrum of things, right? There's no such thing as the people who have 
accessibility issues and the people who don't you know like it's a like it's a binary distinction between those two groups there is there is there's lots of gray areas in between where maybe somebody's uh, only partially uh, you know uh, uh, has, has, a, has a problem in some partial aspect or maybe only a temporal problem whereas somebody else has a more fundamental problem I don't, I don't even know whether problem is the right word you know um, yeah, issue with accessing whatever it is that we're offering yeah. right yeah it's it's really complex because mm -hmm. as you point out you know you have some people that have a specific condition so say George is blind mm -hmm. and that's not likely to change but then you have people that um that may have uh conditions that are degrading so maybe maybe they are starting to lose their sight and as they're growing older they're going to get less and less sight but maybe it's something that varies maybe because of whatever condition maybe one day they're going to have good control over their arms and then the next day they're going to have tremors that means they can't use a mouse at all uh, and then there's this concept that a lot of people in the disability community are talking about is this concept of TAB. Everybody is temporarily able-bodied, meaning that mm -hmm. at some points you are going to get a disability. Maybe not something permanent, but maybe uh, you're going to break a wrist or maybe you're going to um, to put a, a splinter in your eye or maybe you're going to uh, play soccer this weekend and you get a really big knock on the head and uh, that affects your concentration. Or maybe you had COVID and now you're dealing with brain fog and you don't know if it's going to last three months or six months or a year or forever. So th there's a whole range of situation where you have temporary impairments. And then there's the situational impairments. For example, um, say a young mother has a infant in her arm, the infant is sick, she's trying to find information about the symptoms her baby exhibits on her cell phone, I guarantee you that she has problem concentrating because she's worried about the baby and if the website talking about these things is not using clear language and good contrast, it's going to be really hard for her to, to function. Mm -hmm. And then the last layer of it all is when we're talking about accessibility, we're also talking about it's good for everyone. Uh, we say don't use gray text on gray background because it's bad for people with low vision. But I guarantee you, if you put gray text on gray background and a really young person with great eyesight tries to read the content on their phone outside in full sun, they're going to struggle. So we're talking about accessibility being good for everyone. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I think that's an excellent, that's an excellent summary. And probably many people will, most people probably would agree that it's a good thing, right? It's a good thing if an application or a website is accessible to as many, as many people as possible in, in principle. But I still observe many people viewing this as something that's sort of an add-on, right? It's something that, that of course, it would be a good idea, but lots of things would be good ideas. If you're yeah. building a, an MVP, you know, the, 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 if you're building a minimal viable product, 
maybe accessibility shouldn't be part of that because mm. first of all you're 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 serving the majority of your users the ones you care about most and while you do care about the people uh, who have accessibility requirements they're still the minority so what's what's the value in in doing that how how if i think it's a good thing in general do i counter those arguments if i if i as a developer want to do things the right way and my project manager or architect or boss in general tells me yeah sure but we don't have the money to do that now there are many um arguments you can use uh whether to try and convince somebody or even just convincing yourself the first thing is this idea that we don't have the money and accessibility ex is expensive. And yes, for sure, you can spend hundreds of thousands of dollars remediating a website uh, that's not accessible. It's a little bit like uh, building a house, though. Uh, and I'm going to use an example that people can really visualize easily. If you build a house and you put in a 30-inch door and you have two steps in front of the entrance, you've just made it impossible for wheelchair users to come in. And suddenly, if you need to have wheelchair users come in, you're going to have to take the door out, break the wall, make a bigger hole for a bigger door, fix all that. Then you're going to have to pour a ramp over the, the steps, and suddenly that costs you a lot more. But if you had built it with the wide door and the level entrance to start with, the cost difference would have been negligible. You're talking maybe 1%, 2%. The other aspect in our world in development is that a lot of accessibility can be done without extra cost. Because if you understand HTML, if you understand accessibility basics, just the way you should understand performance basics and security basics, these are basic skills you should not even have to spend extra time about. You just you build muscle memory, and as you're going, you're building things accessibly, so you don't have to, to convince anyone. However, let's say you do have to convince someone. You can point out, A, the costs are bigger if you try to retrofit accessibility after the fact. Uh, B, it's going to be even more expensive if... Uh, your platform or your website is one of the 5,000 websites being sued every year in the United States for lack of accessibility. So suddenly you're not talking just about development costs, but you're talking about legal fees, you're talking about uh, possible uh, damages. So it gets very, very expensive and very messy as well. It's like blueberry muffins. You know, if you make a blueberry muffin, and you don't put the blueberries before you bake the muffin, <laughs> it's going to be really messy putting those in at the end. Uh, and accessibility is a little bit like that. Mm -hmm. That's an excellent analogy. I love that. Okay. So could you liken it to, um, to something that's kind of on everyone's mind these days, which is security? I mean, you typically don't, you can't just add, you know, your security is not a feature that you add, that you add at the end of software development, right? We've developed this now we'll make it secure. That's going to end in disaster as well. It seems like accessibility is the same kind of thing. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. I like to think of accessibility, security, and performance as the three legs of a, uh, of a stool that you must 
consider from the very start of the project, even before you have your designers start putting colors and, and font sizes and all that from your wireframe stage, you have to start considering accessibility and, and thinking about the interactions and thinking about how are we going to mark this up? Because if you don't, then you're making it harder and harder and harder. And, and as you're going through, your designers hopefully will give you uh, information about what they had in mind. So a good designer would be able to say, okay, this is a H1. This is going to be a button, not a link. This is, you know, itemizing all the elements because otherwise what they're doing is they're giving developers a photo of a cake and say, go bake this. And without the recipe, you are going to do your best, but that's only what you can do. You cannot necessarily replicate what the designer had in mind really well. You're going to have to make a lot of assumptions about what's expected for the interactions, for the UI, and 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 even the user experience. So um, everybody has a responsibility in terms of implementing accessibility. And the sooner you do it in the design process, the better it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Um, another argument I've heard a lot of times, and which I like your thoughts on, is um, that if you're building something that that's accessible, especially if it's in some sort of e-commerce scenario of, of sorts, then you're actually widening your market. You're you're opening up to more people who can actually use your services, and that's actually a very, you know, a very um, uh, strong monetary argument to to support those things. Would you agree with that? I'm going to give you my favorite answer, which frustrates most people. Eh, it depends. <laughs> it depends Consult on some answer. things. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where I really like the images that we can um, conjure when we're saying uh, at the latest official survey from the CDC in the United States, we found that there's 26% of adult Americans that have a significant uh, disability. So that that's more than one in four person has a disability. Um, I like that the World Health Organization is saying that there is uh, the, the buying power of people with disabilities worldwide uh, a few years ago was $350 billion. Those numbers are very, very impressive. The reality of it is we actually don't know. I cannot tell you make your site accessible and you will get X increase in sales. I can't tell you that. I can tell you that not everybody who has a disability has access needs on the web. But I can also tell you that most of my clients are really focused on making sure that their website is compatible with IE11. And if you're looking at the amount of traffic that comes through from these older browser, you're going to get maybe 1%, maybe 2% mm -hmm. of traffic. And I can guarantee you that there's more than 1% or 2% of your audience or potential audience that you're not looking out that has this, this need. So yes, you will see increased traffic. The other thing mm -hmm. is uh, the disability community is uh, is quite a community and we talk to one another. So if if I'm going to widget 
website and it's not accessible, but uh, Gizmo website is actually accessible, I'm going to tell everybody, hey, don't go to Widget because mm -hmm. you can get the same things at Gizmo and it's accessible. And friends and families tend to also um, patronize these sites that work better for for family and friends. So it's, you know, it's it's not a solid black and white kind of thing, build it and you're going to get more sales, but certainly it makes a lot of sense. And we are people with you know, disposable income, sometimes not very much, but uh, we still need to buy things to function. We still need to uh, to shop. We like entertainment. We like, um, you know, we are developers. We we just function in the same world as everybody else. Mm -hmm. Okay, I think those are those are all very convincing things in the <laughs> end. And and so yeah, so let's let's move on maybe to maybe to some of the some of the things that actually go wrong. I mean, some of the things that, um, that, or many of the things in my experience that hurt accessibility are things that nobody has really done on purpose. It's not as if anybody, you know, intentionally breaks their website or web app to make it less accessible. These things sort of happen because people don't know or don't care enough or some tools or other things or best practices that turn out not to be so good um, lead to those problems. Can you give us some examples of things that hurt in terms of accessibility? Yes, I can, and I will. Um, I think the first thing that I would suggest is that your favorite uh, framework is probably your biggest enemy. Uh, and I say this from a perspective of being framework agnostic, uh, because whether you're using Angular, Vue, React, uh, it doesn't really matter what you're using. These platforms, as is, are not particularly good at delivering accessible outputs. Uh, some of the things that happen that are problematic is, uh, for whatever reason, these platforms have tended to rely a lot on non-semantically meaningful elements, for example, divs and spans to uh, replicate the behavior of elements that already exist in HTML. So you can make a div behave like a button, but the amount of heavy lifting you need to do to make that happen is significant. And most of the time it's not done. Uh, so for example, you can use the button element, uh, B-U-T-T-O-N, or you can use a div and then modify that behavior. So you would have to have the div, then give it a roll of button, then give it a tab index of zero to make it keyboard accessible. And then you have to maybe give it a roll, uh, a, a different, you know, uh, different values and attribute to replicate what, what needs to happen. So the potential for mistakes here for accessibility issues is huge. Uh, in fact, when I do accessibility auditing, I would venture to say that a good 60% of the issues I find that need to be fixed are a direct result of the default output of uh, frameworks. Mm -hmm. So that that's one big issue. Now, there, there are some ways to create accessible content in these platforms, absolutely, but you have to be aware of them. You have to look out for them. Uh, 
you have to take some care in how you develop things. So that that's the, the first aspect is choose your tools well because they matter and know your tools well because the, the output matters. Mm-hmm. When we're thinking in terms of, you know, what kind of things we're putting in, what kind of features we're putting in that might be very cool, well, then then that becomes problematic as well. For example, um, we use disabled buttons a lot. So we, until the person has accomplished specific steps, we don't let them um, click the button. We make it disabled, which is a problem because disabled buttons typically are gray and they're hard to read. And you're going to have people that have low vision and don't really perceive the the fact that oh, it's grayed out on purpose. So there there's going to be a lot of added cognitive load in terms of why is this button disabled? Unless your workflow is really clear as to, okay, complete this, 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 and that, and then you can hit this button, it's not going to be very clear. Um, carousels. For some reason, designers still love carousels and they are fiendishly difficult to make accessible. Uh, It's very difficult because often you have interactive elements, you have things that move on the screen, you have images, you have image of text, you have a whole range of moving parts, quite literally, that you have to cater for and that makes it really difficult. So carousels are one of these things that is used often and actually really shouldn't. Uh, They don't bring that much stuff. They're cool for the stakeholders. They are cool for the designers. They can be a fun challenge for the developer, but the end users does not really benefit from that. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, you know, uh, here's another one that's really tricky is date pickers. We we build date pickers where we use a mouse, we click on a field, the little calendar pops up, and then we can select a date. But we don't think about how that interaction functions for people that actually can't use a mouse. How does it work for a keyboard user? Are they actually able to open your little calendar and navigate the the dates? Is it navigation with using the tab key or is it navigation with using the arrow keys? How did you mark this up? How is the interaction working for people that rely on screen readers? Um, that, that software that helps primarily people who are blind interact with computers. And as the name implies, it reads the screen, but it does a lot more than that. But it allows you to interact with uh, with the application on on the browser, um, but if the date picker hasn't been marked up properly, it's going to be really difficult, if not outright impossible, to use a date date picker. So, uh, you know, a solution for that is actually easy: create a single input where you can put the date. You can actually type the date, so you then approach it with you know belt and braces. You have the widget where people who want to use the calendar picker with a mouse, they can, but you also have an approach where people who prefer to just type in a specific date in a field can do that as well. 
and I think that's one of the things to to think about is different people have different ways that they process information. And the more ways you can give to your users, the easier it's going to be for everybody to interact with with mm -hmm. that. And I think that maybe a very good example, maybe you picked it for that reason, because these date pickers are something that um, even people who don't have primarily accessibility issues just don't like or don't want to use, right? Depending on what kind of data it is that I want to enter, I may be much faster just entering something as, as text. Um, and the thing is, I as a developer don't really know. I, I mean, I, I don't know anything or I don't know much about the people using the software that I'm building. So I shouldn't make too many assumptions about what works best for them. Instead, I should give them options to do things the way they like to do it. Yeah, it's interesting because we were talking about, you know, business case and how many people uh, with disabilities come to us and so on and so forth. And we don't have metrics for that. We don't know if someone is using a screen reader. We don't know if they are a keyboard only user. We don't know if they rely on speech input. We don't have metrics for that. Like we know what browser they're using, which country they're coming from, unless they're using a VPN. Uh, we know how long they spend on the site. We, we know a whole bunch of stuff, but specifically disability related, we don't know. And that's all right because I don't want to give up my privacy. I don't want to mm -hmm. have anyone know whether or not uh, I'm using just a keyboard or if I'm using assistive technologies or what. Um, so because we don't know, and because accessibility is good for everyone, and because making things accessible also involves thinking about different ways to consuming the content and interacting with your um, with your interactive elements, it really pays off to um, to look at all the possible um, options. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned frameworks already. You mentioned that frameworks could, can turn out to be uh, to be uh, accessibility's enemy um, for for or may turn out to be the developer's enemy. In fact, when trying to achieve good accessibility. Um, What's the solution then? Is it to uh, to make that part of the criteria for selecting the right framework, or is it a way of getting to know how to use the framework so that it doesn't make things as bad? There's there's again several layers here um, because sometimes you don't really have a whole lot of choice in, in what framework you're going to work or, or use or work with. Um, so definitely doing due diligence to understand, is this framework going to allow me to do what I need in an accessible way? And if yes, is it out of the box or is it something, is there a plugin to extend it or do I need to be aware of modifications that I need to to do uh, it's I think with a little bit of knowledge and and understanding of accessibility you probably can make anything sing um, but you have to to think about it ahead of time and you need to plan for what's going to happen and you also need to look at your third-party um, 
third-party plugins and, and widgets and stuff, because a lot of the time those are not going to be accessible either. Um, so you may be selecting tools that actually you have no control over what the output is going to be, but they're not allowing you to provide an accessible experience to your end users. So at this point, you have to either look for uh, for an alternative that is accessible, or you need to put pressure on the third-party developers to actually make it accessible, which can be tricky. Um, but mm-hmm. I think one of the problem is it's it's very often difficult to get that information. Uh, developers don't know. Uh, often the people you're interacting with are not the developers. They're going to be salespeople who have no clue. Uh, I was looking for an accessible learning management system uh, several months ago, and I reached out to the top 60 LMS providers. And I asked them, does your platform allow the creation of WCAG 2.1 conformant product? And that was so hard because most of them didn't respond. Some of them did, and they just said no. Um, I even had one salesperson tell me that information is confidential, uh, which really boggled me. Uh, But in the end, out of 60, I only had three that came back and said, yes, we can actually make this accessible. And out of the three there was only one that was actually compliant. The other two were kind of compliant, but not fully. And those three solutions were going to cost my client $50,000 for the first year to use. Uh, so we're we're ending up mm-hmm. with providers that don't actually really know what they're talking about. So as as we are going through the discovery process and deciding which platform to use, it can be very difficult to determine whether or not it's going to work. So you you do have to be approaching things with caution. And I realize I just used an acronym that mm-hmm. maybe not all your yeah uh, not yeah I wanted all to your ask about WCAG. Be aware of. <laughs> WCAG stands for the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines. This is a standard put together by the uh, the W3C. Uh, we are currently on version 2.1 of the uh, standards, and there's going to be version 2.2 coming out soon. Uh, so if, if you hear in any asks from a client that they want to be accessible and meet WCAG 2.0, you can turn around and say, well, actually, that's outdated and we want to work towards 2.1 or at least maybe even 2.2 because we want to future-proof things. What WCAG does, WCAG, um, is it gives us a set of principles, guidelines, and success criteria that direct us into making things more accessible. So there's four principles uh, we're thinking about the the acronym P-O-U-R, POOR, and that stands for perceivable, operable, understandable, and robust. So ask yourself, is what I'm building perceivable? 
Can I actually see it? Can I actually know it's there? Is it understandable? Can I understand what the content says? Uh, can I understand what this interaction does? Um, no, sorry. P.O. Uh, operable. Can I actually trigger the, this widget? Can I, can I interact with all the things? Then, of course, understandable, mm -hmm. which I was just talking about. And then robust really is talking about making sure your platform is solid, it's going to be backwards compatible, there's not going to be uh, parsing errors and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So, um, thank you for clearing up the acronym. Um, I had something that I wanted to add, which I had in my mind for a while, which is the this whole thing about, you know, you mentioned that you were looking at tools and checking them whether or not they were accessible or not. And I think many of us have been doing similar things. I recently did, we, my colleagues and I recently had the same thing. We were looking for a task management tool that was supposed to be accessible. And we simply couldn't find any good one, right? We couldn't find any <laughs> good ones that met our, uh, met our criteria or other functional criteria and also was accessible. And the thing that drove us mad and still drives me mad to no end is that there is absolutely no friggin' reason for this. I mean, there's no justification why a task management tool would not be accessible. Ignorance. I mean, it's, yes, that's the only thing you can think of. It's like people, obviously, maybe, maybe nobody ever talked to them about what, but why would you not make that a, you know, selling point of even if, especially if you recognize that your competitors are not accessible, then that will be, what a great chance. I can have the best product in the market simply by making it accessible to everyone because my product is something that's useful to everyone. Why would it not be usable by such a large number of people? This, this makes no sense at all. It really, it's it's it, mind-boggling it, why, why it still happens. It, it makes no sense at all until you realize that um, there's nowhere for developers to know about this, to learn about this. And and I I rant and rave often enough about things that aren't accessible when I'm on Twitter, for sure. But if I'm fair, and I look at computer science degrees, most of them don't even mention accessibility anywhere at any point in the curriculum. If mm -hmm. I look at boot camps, most of them don't even barely touch HTML, let alone accessibility. I even had a boot camp uh, founder tell me, oh, well, our boot camp is for local developers and we're here to help fill the demand from the local industry and nobody wants accessibility so we're not teaching accessibility and i'm thinking but you you have no vision here because i guarantee you if if the people going through your boot camp have uh, knowledge and accessibility chops they will be much more employable and they can actually get higher higher money for for their skills Mm -hmm. And so when we're looking at that and we're looking at the tutorials, most tutorials on the web don't have anything. They don't even mention accessibility. So where where are people going to learn about accessibility unless they listen to a podcast like yours or uh, come across one of my rants on Twitter or, you know, how are people, unless they have a direct or secondary experience with disabilities and, and accessibility needs, where are they going to learn about that? So mm -hmm. this is true for every developer, including framework maker, widgets, and all that. The, the big difference is that when you start 
having a product that's big enough um you become a bigger target for people renting about it and you should be aware but then you run into the problem we were talking about earlier that you built it you built it without thinking about accessibility and now you have a blueberry muffin that doesn't have the blueberries in it so what do you do well you build version 2.0 of the blueberry muffin and everything's going to be fine well yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah well yes i think that i think to be fair to framework developers i think most of them these days at least know know if they have issues right at least they have, they pay lip service to the idea which mm. is not which is not great but it's better than nothing it's better than complete ignorance or you know claiming that it's completely unimportant and not an issue um they may not have the, a great solution but most of them i think have the have the will or are starting to have the will to change those things which is good i think because they have such a huge effect because of the multiplication effect, because so many people use their user tooling, right? Yeah. Um, and another thing, now again, I'm interested in your thoughts about this is what I found is that once people uh, know a little bit about this and, 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 you know, they don't have, they don't have to become experts, but if they know a little bit about this, like the value of semantic HTML and, you know, the, the, the way a screen reader works, even if they attend just one session with somebody demonstrate something like that, they sort of know about this thing and then they see it everywhere. It's like, you can't unsee it because <laughs> yes. you now know, and now you notice how many things for no good reason at all are not accessible and just, you know, break things for, for, yeah, without any justification. So that's probably a good, a good strategy to get more people to, to care uh, about this thing. I love the idea of not creating accessibility experts, but creating accessibility champions. Mm -hmm. As you say, once the awareness is raised and you have people that start paying attention, you have people that can actually raise the issue. They can be the squeaky wheel within the organization. They can ask their framework or plugin developers, hey, is this accessible? Why not? And we don't need a whole bunch of experts. We need people that can do quick tests. Hey, you're a developer, you're probably a power keyboard users. Why don't you use your keyboard only to navigate on your website, on your news website, on the website you frequent re regularly? Use your tab key, you use your shift tab to go backwards. Try it a little bit. And suddenly you're going to realize, hey, this is not easy. Why don't we fix it? Become that mm -hmm. squeaky wheel, become that champion that Maybe you don't know everything there is to know about accessibility because, let's face it, nobody does. I've been in this field for a quarter of a century and I'm still learning. But mm -hmm. when there's something that you don't know about, how do I fix this? You'll know, well, I can go check out the, the web accessibility guidelines. I can go look at the... Uh, education material on the Web Accessibility Initiative website on the W3C. I can do a whole bunch of things to start finding the problem and, and finding solutions to it. And if I don't know, hey, I know Nick, I know the accessibility Twitter community, I know these resources. So it's, it's you know, if you can't fix it yourself, Go talk to the expert, but at least you have this understanding that we can't let this stand the way it is because it's broken for so many people. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, 
I think we completely we are in complete agreement regarding this. I, I am enthusiastically I'm enthusiastically nodding my head all the time. <laughs> so so maybe let's let's move on to some other strategies. I mean, um one of the one of the tendencies we as developers or as a, as the tech community have is to you know just throw a tool at a problem. So why can't we just throw a tool at this particular problem as well? I mean, if I have a website or a web app that doesn't have the uh, the needed functionality that's needed to be accessible, can't I just you know have some magical tooling help me to to do that? Yes. Well. There are some people out there, some companies that will tell you, "Hey, I have this this solution. Uh, you put one lin line of JavaScript on your page, and my tool is going to fix everything." Uh, they're often referred to as overlays. Some of the company, and and I'm going to name them specifically because they are particularly uh, egregious and problematic. Uh, there's Audio Eye, there's Accessibility, uh, there's Userways. Those are three big providers of what is called accessibility overlay. And in theory, what they do is they um, you put in a line of code and it puts in a little button, uh, whether it's a, a little wheelchair button or or other, and that deploys tools to make things more accessible for people with disabilities. So, and basically, it's trying to fix your website with, as you said, Stefan, magic. Except it's not. It's not magic. It's snake oil. Um, this solution, nine times out of ten, will actually uh, conflict with the user's assistive technology. So, if you have a website that does not work for a screen reader user and you put in an overlay and one of the overlay function there is uh, read the screen suddenly you have the native assistive technology and an overlay that's trying to do the same thing and the two will conflict most of the time mm -hmm. um, you you know you can have the same things with uh, keyboard access and and contrast and all these things. The problem is users that need accessibility know their software, know their assistive technology, have their own solution that they need on every single website. So it's not actually good for them to think, oh, well, I'm going to rely on one overlay for this side and another overlay for that side. It just doesn't work that way. Um, if someone tries to sell you something that sounds too good to be true, it probably is. <laughs> and um, the reality of it is that overlays like that are, are magic. They're fairly affordable. Um, they, I can see the appeal for people, especially if, if you don't know accessibility and it's very easy for stakeholders to think, I'm doing the right thing. I'm actually making this site more accessible, um, but it's not. Uh, so I, I would seriously uh, encourage anyone that you know, if you come to a website that there's this little button that says uh, accessibility options, chances are it's going to make it worse for users. Uh, in fact, there's a there's a very good web page, um, which is 
an explanation and an open letter and a pledge all at the same time. It's uh, overlayfactsheet.com. Uh, I would encourage everyone to go read that. And if you're on board, which I hope you are, just uh, add your name through GitHub, do a pull request and sign the, uh, sign the pledge. <laughs> it reminds me a bit of those snake oil promises like... Um we're going to turn your mainframe application into a web application with this magical tool that will screen scrape your ter <laughs> 3270 terminal screens and just turn them into beautiful web apps or the things that said we're going to solve your mobile web problem by this magical tool that will um, that will turn your desktop web page into a mobile whatever page. I mean, those things, they sound, as you say, they sound too good to be true. And that's exactly what they are. Yeah. So yeah. Also, it sounded a bit like um, like um, these tools would work perfectly to solve somebody's legal problem, which is maybe a good strategy in terms of selling stuff, right? I mean, yeah, it sounds even like even if it, they do, I don't know, do they even they, solve? They, they don't actually. Problem? That's that's the that's the funny <laughs> Not thing. Not even that. Okay. <laughs> there, there's. Um, there might be more, but to my knowledge, there's at least three fairly significant lawsuits in the United States that specifically mention accessibility as uh, as a problem <laughs> okay. with accessibility on the website. Yeah. So uh, the, the funny thing problem. is to, to <laughs> keep picking at them and they might not like me, but if you read the terms and conditions of accessibility carefully, which really you should before buying a product, in their uh, warranty of product, they're saying that uh, the website, the, the tool is going to work if the website validates HTML and passes WCAG. <laughs> that's a that's a very good one. I'm sure nobody who buys the product understands what that means or why it's funny <laughs> or, or or reads the the thing. So basically, yeah, we guarantee our product cool. is going to work if your website is working in the first place. <laughs> very nice. Okay, so it seems it seems uh, we we agree that this is something that needs to be uh, built in from the beginning that requires some knowledge. Uh, with the with the people who actually do the design and development of a website, which is actually no surprise probably to anybody, right? Mm. Um, but I mean, even if you want to do that, and if you think you're fairly knowledgeable of this, how do you test that you've done a good job? What's the best way to approach this? There's three uh, levels of testing. The first thing is you can use uh, automated tools for testing. And there's really good stuff about automated testing and there's not so good stuff. The, f the good stuff is that you can throw an automated test at all the pages on your on your web assets and it's going to go through fairly quickly. Uh, the other good thing is it's great for identifying things that might actually be a problem. You know, it's like a lantern. You can look at it uh, until your eyes go cross-eyed or you can let it check that you have your colons and semicolons and commas and, and all your spacing right. So uh, automated accessibility testers are going to be good for that. They're going to identify a whole bunch of things for you that are fairly straightforward. However, automated testing tools for accessibility, uh, the best one out there identifies about 40% of all accessibility issues on a website. So Probably, if you have an automated tool that returns 
one or two errors, you know, hey, we're in good shape. We're not doing too bad, but we still need to check manually. Uh, checking manually is actually fairly straightforward if you have a little bit of wherewithal about you. The first thing you do is you test with the keyboard. Can I get to every single interactive element on the page? And can I trigger them using only the keyboard? Can I navigate backwards? Can I see where the focus is? Because so often you're going to have an interactive element, but the focus outline is going to have been removed because either the designers thinks it's ugly or you're using an old version of Bootstrap and um, there's a, a reset in there that removes the default outline or whatever reason. Mm -hmm. So that's your first step. Once, you, once you've tested that it works for keyboard users, then you can start looking at your code on do your images, do they have the alt attribute? And if the image is decorative, so it's basically eye candy, there's no specific information conveyed, then you would use a, a null or empty alt. If it's an informative image, especially if the image is the only destination of a link, like say, for example, um, social media icons, mm -hmm. make sure you have clear and concise alternative text. So someone coming to that link using a screen reader, they're not just going to hear oh, here's a link, here's an image, I don't know what it is. They would hear, here's a link, here's an image, and the alt text is Twitter, for example. Um, make sure your forms work with the keyboard. Um, use your um, browser default resizing. Uh, if you're on a Mac, Command Plus. If you're on a Windows machine, uh, the window, the control plus and increase that to 200%. See if things are breaking. Maybe you have, um, you know, container heights that are defined in, in pixels. And when you increase the, the, the size of the, the font on the page, that's going to break outside. So do these kind of things. So as, as a, as a developer, you can do these Every day, every time you build something, check it out. It doesn't take very long. You can use different accessibility plugins to to help you accomplish uh, the first part, which would be automated testing, and then use a keyboard and, and a little bit of code inspection and check it out. Um, and then if you want to add fun, um, start learning how to use a screen reader. If you're on a Mac, you have voiceover that's built in for free into the operating system. If you're on Windows, you can grab the free um, open source uh, screen reader called NVDA, which is available at nvaccess.org. Uh, if you look, if you Google just NVDA, you're going to get results for NVIDIA, and that's mm -hmm. a little bit annoying. And we'll put all of that, of course, into the show yeah, notes as well. Um, uh, and And look on the WebAIM website for uh, introductions as to how to use these screen readers for testing. And you can start having fun with that. Um, and, and I guess that's the thing that I want to tell everybody out there. We're developers. We always are looking for a technical challenge. Think about accessibility as a technical challenge, not as a chore, not as something you have to do because somebody told you that 
you know, oh, well, accessibility is now part of the definition of done. And uh, why do we have to do this? It's so hard. Well, yeah, it can be hard, but it's a challenge. It's fun. You have the tool and suddenly you have to find ways to do things that you've been doing maybe for three years, five years, 10 years, maybe 15 years. And suddenly you have to figure out how do I do this differently to reach the same result, but in an accessible way. I think that's just fun. Those are such perfect last words. <laughs> that I think we should maybe come to an end. I think this is this is a great message. We will have a ton of notes, uh, a ton of links in the show notes um, to lots of additional information, because of course, this was definitely not enough time to discuss all of the aspects of this topic. But we have great resources with your podcast with a lot of the other information that we're going to link to. Uh, personally, I'm, I'm totally convinced that this is this is something worth spending time on. I think there are so many positive effects of caring more about accessibility from the obvious ones for people who can access the stuff that we built and couldn't if we didn't build it this way to the fact that things are simply better in many other aspects if we build them this way. So um, I think it's definitely time spent well to, to learn more about accessibility. Time spent much better than learning about the 13th framework this year. <laughs> uh, so I think everybody should just get to that. Okay. Is there anything else that we should have discussed and haven't, Nick, or anything else that you would want to add? I think we've pretty much gone around all, all around the, the topic, but perhaps the, the last thing I want to say is really accessibility is about people, just like building web tools is about people. For some of us, we're building just for the sake of building, but ultimately what we're building is going to be used by people and we should make sure that everybody can use our, our products. I completely agree. Excellent. Well, Nick, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for your time. Stefan, thank you for having me. It's been a joy talking with you and uh, yeah, I look forward to, to interacting with you folks on the web. <laughs> thank you listeners for listening. Please check out the show notes and talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Cheers. Cheers.